0: Good morning, everybody. So wonderful to watch so many people just going through the waters of baptism and making that public declaration of faith that uh, Pastor Louis shared with us last week. Uh, greetings from Pastor Louis. He's, um, the South Church is doing their spring celebration this Sunday, so he's fully there this Sunday. Next Sunday, he will be with us. So be here or be left out next Sunday. So, as Ben mentioned, we're talking about the other baptism that the New Testament speaks about this morning, and that's baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then I've just thrown in a little subtitle there as to uh, why I speak in tongues. And I'll tell you if you listen carefully. Uh, In fact, I remember when I got baptized by the Holy Spirit, not maybe the exact year, but I remember exactly where I was. I was reading a book. The book was called uh, Prison to Praise by the author was Merlin Carruthers. Uh, I think it was a period where there was an elderly couple, Uncle Dave and Auntie Jesse. And they were mentoring me for about a period of six months. And they gave me a book to read. And in this book, there were a few chapters, it's a testimony of a guy's life, but there were a few chapters on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I was reading those chapters, and my habit was always to, you know, check it in the scripture, is it in the Bible, is it really this way? And I was fully persuaded that this was something that was in the Bible and for me. And I remember at night, just kneeling in my room all alone, didn't have the benefit of people around me, kneeling there and praying, and asking God to baptize me and to fill me with His Holy Spirit. And I did that, and at that moment for me, then I got a release or in speaking in tongues. And I wonder if some of you, many of you in the room, you also have a testimony of being filled or being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Anybody? About 10 of us. The rest, this message is for you. Uh, but maybe you haven't. Maybe you've never even heard about baptism of the Holy Spirit, or perhaps you even don't, you know, you wonder what this is and you've heard about it. Won't you continue to listen today? My aim today is just to teach briefly through some of the scriptures. There's many, many scriptures on this. I'm going to refer to a lot. Some of you are going to feel like it's too much. I think I've done about 20%. Okay, so there's many, many scriptures on this. There's the weight and overwhelming evidence in scripture about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, But we also in our church. This is what we've believed in the mid to late 1960s. As a congregation, we started stepping in. Our predecessors, some of our retired pastors were here last week. They lived through this. we in the late 1960s, they started listening to audio cassettes. Anyone know what that is for the young people? It's like a tape thingy. If you don't know what tape is, I'll explain it to you afterwards. Okay. But uh, started listening to some audio cassettes about the scriptures and teaching from the New Testament on baptism in the Holy Spirit. So, our legacy, one of the wells we draw on in this church, is that for at least about 55 years, more than five decades, we have been baptizing people and being seeing people filled and experiencing. The infilling of the Holy Spirit. So, what we're going to look at this morning is we are quickly look at very shortly the role of the some of the shots, of, uh, snapshots of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. What Jesus also said about baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at very quickly what the early church practiced and some things that the New Testament teaches about that. And then we're going to I'm going to address maybe some of the more common questions, things like is the baptism of the Holy Spirit just a thing that happens once, or is it twice, or is it more than that? Uh, how do we practice this today, is it for today, and then also just a little bit about speaking in tongues. Before we get into all of that, I do want to just say one thing very clearly. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, we use the instead of he, although the scriptures often, by the way, assign personal pronouns to the Holy Spirit. So it's a little bit more by convention that we talk, we say the Holy Spirit and not just Holy Spirit. I've tried over the years to unteach myself that, but then you all keep saying the Holy Spirit, so I just, I just conform. But the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. It's not an abstract entity. This is not Star Wars or something like that. Okay, we deal, we're talking here about the third person of the Trinity, God Himself, that lives in us and empowers us uh, in His own person as well. So one of the things we see clearly through the Gospels is that Jesus operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. The verses that are just in reference on that point, Luke chapter four, verse one and four, very clearly say that when Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism, he was the Spirit came down on him like a dove, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit there. So I figure if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, so do I. And then it says the Spirit led him into the wilderness, where we know later he was tempted, and he overcomes the temptations of the enemy. And it says then he returns to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to look at a verse that's not so common when we talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I think it's an important passage of Scripture because it shows Jesus' self-understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in His life and in His ministry. So this will come up on the screen, Luke chapter 4, from verse 18 to 21. Now, there's an element of this where Jesus is very clearly saying He's fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, so there's a part of it that's unique to Jesus because He was the one who really fulfilled that prophecy. But I think also for us, as we look at the life of Jesus, we can expect the same kind of characteristics as we also live under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. So in Luke chapter four, uh, Jesus actually comes to the synagogue. Imagine this with me, if you will, because it's quite interesting to picture this. This is not just uh, religious words on the page. There was this day in history where in a synagogue, Jesus stood up and he picked up the scroll of Isaiah. Now I think you'll all know Isaiah is quite long. If you read it, okay, 60-something chapters. So it was a big scroll, maybe double-handed pickup. And he picks it up and he puts it on the thing and they roll it out. And I don't know if it was the reading for the day and the timing was great or if Jesus specifically went there, but he comes to this passage in Isaiah and he reads this. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus understood very clearly that the Holy Spirit was on him. Because he has anointed me, the anointing means the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is on me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolls up the scroll and sits down. and It's quiet in the synagogue. John actually says, Uh, the eyes of everyone on the synagogue were fastened on him. I don't know if you've had that experience in church. We do church, not synagogue, by the way. Okay, But that you know when everyone in church is just looking at you? And then Jesus does this mic drop moment and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your midst. So Jesus very clearly understood that everything he did was under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. A little bit earlier, before Jesus does this, we learn something in Matthew chapter 3, about John the Baptist, and he's speaking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so John, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I want us to read that together because it's just important to understand something in this space as well. So John's talking about his ministry, and he says, I baptized you with water for repentance. So that's a very specific purpose in John's ministry. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. And then John says about Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's very important that in John's understanding, what we see here is Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think that means, you know, if you now want to get all into, do I ask the Father or do I ask Jesus or do I ask the Holy Spirit? But Jesus is the one through his life and ministry made a way possible for us to be baptized, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the baptizer. Uh, it's not the pastor. Sorry, for the pastors. It's not the teacher. Sorry for myself. It's not the apostle. It's not the bishop. It's not some anointed person who fills you with the Holy Spirit. It's God himself. Jesus is the one. My role is to teach, to persuade you from scripture. And when we pray at the end today, I cannot fill you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus does that. Is that okay? So no pressure on me other than to show you the Bible. What did Jesus say specifically about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or about the Holy Spirit in general? The first verse we're going to look at is a bit in general, and then more specifically about baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's look just at three scriptures. Uh, That's what we will have time for this morning. John chapter 16 and verse 7. John chapter 16 and verse 7. It's in Jesus' final discourse on the night that he's going to be betrayed, just before he goes to the cross, he's speaking to his disciples and he says these very poignant words to them. He says, very truly I tell you, it is good that I am going away. It's good that Jesus ascended into heaven. Unless I go away, the advocate, and that's the name in this verse for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. I will send him to you. So it's very good, Jesus says, that I'm leaving. It's interesting." The disciples that lived with Jesus, experienced Jesus, saw miracles, they saw signs and wonders. Their whole life revolves around Jesus as it should. And then he says, it's good that I'm going away because something better is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming and I will send him. And that happens a little bit later on the day of Pentecost. Jesus tells us something else about the Father and the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 11. And this is a very important scripture to remember. Luke 11 from verse 11 to thirteen, Luke chapter 11, from verse 11 to 13. Just before this, in this chapter, Jesus is actually, in Luke's gospel, this is where he teaches the disciples to pray. So it's just in this context of pray, praying and talking to God. And then Jesus says these words. He says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, you're a fallen, sinful humanity... If you then who are evil know to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Can you maybe all just say, how much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so this is very important. We can ask the Father who knows how to give good gifts better than any earthly father to give us His Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes people say, when I ask for the Holy Spirit, how how do I know I'm going to get the real one? How do I know it's not going to be a demon or something? Okay, because you're asking the father and the father won't give you a scorpion or whatever snake if you're asking him for your Holy Spirit. It's not about how strong the devil is. It's about how strong God is. And if you ask the good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children to give you the good gift of his Holy Spirit, will he not do so? what Jesus is saying. And so later in the service, we're going to ask the Father. We're going to ask Jesus to baptize us in the Holy Spirit because he's able and he wants to give good gifts to his children. One of the most direct things Jesus said about the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes after he's resurrected from the dead, and it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. This is now after he's told them that they must, go to, they must wait in Jerusalem uh, for, for the Holy Spirit to come, but then he very clearly tells them in Acts 1.8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus very clearly teaches us that when we, there's this experience that happens that the Holy Spirit will come on you in power, not so that you can have power, we'll talk about power a little bit later, but so that you may be a witness to Jesus. It so wonderful this morning when we sang, we sang about the Holy Spirit and coming, and then the next song, it was great, by the way, just the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. We become witnesses to Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to be able to do that. And so Jesus very clearly saw and understood that that's how the Holy Spirit comes. So those are some things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit very active in Jesus' life. It says, "'He cast out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit.'" He he went to the crucifixion empowered or relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. He was raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit. And he also commanded the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. But what did the early church practice with this regard? So Jesus said they must wait. But what did the early believers do? The generation, those disciples that were there, they followed straight after Jesus. And we find a lot shown for us in the book of Acts in this regard. Now, it's important when we read the book of Acts, Acts is illustrating for us. It tells us what happens. It shows us perhaps what is taught more clearly in the teaching sections or more clearly what Jesus taught in different spaces. And so when we look at Acts, when we see what happened, we're looking at certain patterns. They're just how God engaged, and I'll highlight some of those for you shortly. The one I want to read us together is in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Just before Jesus ascends into heaven, he commands his disciples to wait. And he makes this promise of power that's coming. And so we see here in Acts 2, the disciples were obedient. They waited. They did what Jesus had asked them to do. And this is the story of what happened. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. It came from God and filled the whole house where they were sitting, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. Imagine this. <laughs> Imagine you're in the room and it's this violent appearance of a wind blows, there's power all around you, the place is filled, and then you see like, tongues of fire appearing above people. It would get my attention. It gets their attention and they're filled, it came to rest on each of them, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit, I've used it this way too, interchangeably we mean that you're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the Holy Spirit empowered them and gave them the ability to speak, in this instance, in languages they had not learned, earthly languages they had not learned. Now this is fulfilling also a prophecy that Joel had prophesied and Peter later explains it in the crowd, but this is the first time in history that people are baptized, they are filled with the Holy Spirit because the disciples were obedient and they waited for what God wanted to do. Now there's a lot in Acts about the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's quite a big consensus amongst people who study Acts that probably a better name for the book of Acts instead of the Acts of the Apostles, which it is, would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is directing the Apostles, is empowering the Apostles. The Holy Spirit is orchestrating everything that happens as the church grows and it spreads. And so there's a lot in the book of Acts about this. I just want to highlight three passages. And I don't have time to read them all this morning, although I might just dip into one or two of them. But there's three passages in Acts that are very helpful for us to understand around what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in and some illustrative of how that works. So it's Acts chapter 8 from verse 14 to 17. Acts chapter 10 from verse 44 to 48 in Acts chapter 19, verse 1 to 7. I really encourage you to read through those today. So Acts chapter 8 is where the uh, Holy Spirit breaks out in Samaria. Some Samaritans get saved and the Holy Spirit comes on them. Acts chapter 10 happens in Caesarea when the first Gentiles become part of the family of God and the household of Cornelius gets baptized and saved on that day. In Acts chapter 19, Is when the Holy Spirit comes in the church of Ephesus or through Paul's ministry comes down on some disciples in Ephesus. Three pictures, three stories for us. Now Acts chapter 8, what happens in Samaria is some Samaritans get saved and it's very clear in the text they believed in Jesus. So they have a salvation experience and then the Apostles in Jerusalem hear about this, walk all the way to Samaria and then they come there and they see that this is a real salvation, a real repentance and they lay hands on the believers and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say they spoke in tongues, but somehow the apostles knew that they, there was some evidence that happened that they were filled in the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of the leaders in this instance. So Jesus baptized them through the ministry of the apostles. Acts chapter 10 is a boundary-breaking, paradigm-breaking thing that happens because uh, Peter gets that vision. Some of you may remember that the sheet of the unclean and the clean animals. Everyone remember that? God's preparing him that he's going to do something outside of his framework outside of his religious mind. And Peter comes to the household of Cornelius, and he starts telling them about Jesus. And then very rudely by God, in the middle of his sermon, as Peter's still preaching, the Holy Spirit sovereignly falls on these Gentile believers. And the language in Acts 10 is so Peter says, even them, God even poured out the Spirit on them. He couldn't believe it. And so that's kind of probably why God had to do it from heaven. No laying on of hands or anything like that. Boom. The Holy Spirit just fell from heaven. And then uh, Paul, Peter sorry, teaches them properly, baptizes them. And so, in fact, they were baptized as believers after they received the Holy Spirit. It's a very different pattern. Acts 19, Paul travels to Ephesus, and he arrives in the city, and he says, and he meets some disciples, people who were following Jesus. And Paul asks them, how were you baptized? Or have you, have you received the Holy Spirit? Because for Paul, wherever Paul went, this was the mark, that if you have the Holy Spirit, you're a believer, you're a child of God. And Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And the interaction is so interesting. They say to him, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And maybe you're sitting here today and you what Holy Spirit? Don't worry, you're in good company. And, they, and he said, but I mean, now Paul's confused. And he said, how are you baptized? And they said, no, we received John's baptism. As John said, it's a baptism to repentance. Paul fixes their theology a little bit, baptizes them, leads them to Jesus. And then they receive the Holy Spirit and they begin speaking in other tongues. By the way, the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 also start speaking in tongues as evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So these three passages, just four quick observations around what we can observe here in the book of Acts. Firstly, we see that the Holy Spirit didn't come in the same way in every instance. Sometimes it was by the laying on of hands. Sometimes it was just the Holy Spirit fell from heaven. Other times through teaching and the ministry of Paul. So... It happens in different ways at different times. Now, later on, I'm going to take you through a few steps, the same steps, by the way, that I prayed many years ago now when I got filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not about the formula. It's about how Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So sometimes God is sovereign. Sometimes he works through people. But those people had to say, no, well, we want to receive the Holy Spirit. And then uh, the apostles in this instance ministered to them. We also see that in these stories, it appears to be the reception of the Holy Spirit the empowering of the holy spirit with the ability to speak in tongues is separate from salvation at least in two of these stories the people were already saved they were regarded as believers and then they got the uh, empowering of the holy spirit on top of that now i'm going to explain how that works as best as i can shortly but just for now just note that it seemed to not have been all one package kind of thing that happened and in most of the cases doesn't say this in acts chapter 8 but in most of the cases This baptism in the Spirit was evidenced, was shown by speaking in other tongues. That's what we see here in Acts. Now, my next point I've entitled, what does the New Testament teach? And I realized after I'd handed that in for the screens, um, that's probably a bit broad. (laughs) I can't tell you everything else the New Testament teaches. But I want to look at two or three specific things that Paul teaches in his letters about the Holy Spirit. And there's a couple of verses where he uses three words to the Corinthians and to the church in Ephesus, so different churches, to describe something about the working and the role of the Holy Spirit. And the three words are deposit, seal, and guarantee. Deposit, seal, and guarantee. Uh, just for those on the radio or listening, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 21 to 22. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 5. And then in Ephesians 1, 13, and 14. We're actually going to read Ephesians together because it kind of summarizes well what all these verses say in Ephesians 4 verse 30. But let's read Ephesians 1, uh, 13, 14. These other verses say the same thing, but I just wanted to show you that it's not just one place where Paul speaks about deposit seal and guarantee or seal deposit guarantee. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and says, you were included in Christ. So they were already in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel. Of your salvation. Some very clear words. When you believed, the moment you were saved, you were marked in him with a seal. The seal here is a sign of ownership. It's a mark of ownership. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who then works in your life, Paul says, as a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So until God comes back in future to the praise of his glory. These three words, seal, deposit, and guarantee. So when you get saved, what happens as we understand these scriptures, and I'll illustrate it more a little bit later from the life of the disciples as well, is that when you get saved, you get sealed with the Holy Spirit. You do receive a measure, a seal of the Holy Spirit when you get saved. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that that the Holy Spirit takes you then and he makes you part of, of the body of Christ. He baptizes you into the body of Christ, chapter 12, verse 13. So you, when you get saved, if you're saved, you've said the sinner's prayer, you've repented, you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? You're sealed with the Holy Spirit, that's a sign of ownership, you belong to God. In these verses, Paul also talks about a deposit. Now, I think this is a little bit more familiar with us. We all understand that when I did pay a deposit, I'm paying a part so that I can get access to the whole. And then if it's a car or a house, you just keep paying and paying and paying. Okay, A little bit different in this instance. What God is saying is when you get the Holy Spirit, it's like a deposit. It's a guarantee in your life that you're going to get your inheritance. Your full inheritance is that you will one day live in eternity with God. You'll live in a world where there is no sickness, crying or shame. You will live fully then in the kingdom of God. And so in this life, the presence of the Holy Spirit for us also points to a future reality for us. If you've got the Holy Spirit living in you, God is telling you there's a greater reality. It's sure to come. Just like the, you've received a deposit, the whole, the fullness is still on its way. And so that's just those three words. But what I also want to do is the New Testament teaches about power. Now we read in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. And in churches like ours that are in the Pentecostal charismatic tradition, We clearly understand this association with the Holy Spirit and with power. We talk about it a lot. So the first thing I want to say is that as we look at the rest of the New Testament as a whole, just two things about power. Firstly, the New Testament very clearly teaches that there is power when the Holy Spirit comes. That's Acts 1.8. We see this power demonstrated sometimes in the ability to speak in other languages. We see this power demonstrated in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We see this power demonstrated in doing signs and wonders. There is real power that comes to help us to be witnesses for Jesus. By the way, that word in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is the word martyr, which later on in history when Paul uses it here, it meant someone who died for their faith. But what it means when Paul says you will receive power to be a martyr in the first century time in the book of Acts, it means that your whole life will become a testimony and a witness to Jesus. The reason it later on became associated with death is you've given your whole life. But it was about being a living witness, that your whole life is a witness to Jesus. And this, the Holy Spirit, in Paul's writings, it gives you the power to overcome sin. You walk in the Spirit. You're led by the Spirit. There's many scriptures that speak to this. We see this very clearly in church history. In every age, in every generation, there were people who ministered in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in history, we sometimes read about people, um, there's a church movement called the Quakers. Has anybody heard of the Quakers? Today, they're quite a traditional, uh, very strict group of church believers, but they originally got their name because when they were filled by the Holy Spirit, they would Quake. Okay, it's where it came from. Who's heard the term Holy Rollers? And not in the term of rock and roll in Christian circles. Nobody. Okay, just me and three other people. But sometimes in some of the church services early on, centuries ago, people would come under the power of the Holy Spirit and they would roll holy rollers. Okay. In our own church, in, in, and there was a revival move, move of God in the 1990s where one of the often things that happened is people would break out in laughter. The joy of the Lord would overcome. So when the Holy Spirit comes in power, sometimes there's a response from people's souls and their bodies to the power of God coming on them. We see this in the Old Testament when the Holy Spirit arrests Saul and he lies on the ground and he acts like a prophet for a couple of days and things like that. There's illustrations throughout Scripture of the Holy Spirit coming with an outward evidence, but also this inner transformation to overcome. So there's a very clear teaching about power. But the New Testament also teaches us that when the Holy Spirit comes, there's power in weakness. The Holy Spirit also gives us power when we are weak, and when we need him in that way. I'm going to go through some scriptures just very quickly. You see, the Apostle Paul, when he writes, never contemplates. He doesn't conceive of a Christian life that is sometimes powerful, and where you have the Holy Spirit, and a Christian life where sometimes you don't have the Holy Spirit. It's it's just when you live the Christian life for Paul, you are in the power of the Holy Spirit. But then he does write for us in Philippians chapter 3, Verse 10, and these scriptures will come on the screens quite quickly, Paul writes towards the end of his life, the end of his ministry, and he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, which we've kind of spoken about, the, the things we love. But I also want to know him by participating in sufferings. Same Holy Spirit with us. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4 and 5 Paul talks about when he was in Corinth, and we we love the scriptures, charismatics, when I preached to you, my message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. There is this reality of power. But to the same church, Paul writes a little bit earlier, chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 to 25. We don't have time to read it today, but just the reference will help you. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25, he says, we preach a crucified Messiah. The king of the universe came and he died. He died in weakness. He died in suffering. Yet, Paul writes, he says, that crucifixion, that cross is the power of God. So power doesn't always look like victory. Sometimes power looks like losing. We preach a crucified Messiah. And that is the power of God. Jesus' death and suffering released power on the, on the earth. I loved that song we sang earlier, Your Love is Alive. But it's interesting for me, too, that Ephesians 3, verse 16 to 19, very clearly says that we wouldn't even be able to grasp the love of God without the power of the Holy Spirit. The reference is Ephesians 3, 16 to 19, but verse 18 specifically says, may you have power so that you can understand the love of God. We're so broken, we're so fallen, we're so trapped in our own humanity That even to begin to understand the depth, the width, the height, the depth, the generosity, the lavish love of God, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit needs to come and help us understand that God's love is really alive. That that love overcomes darkness. The love of God is the power of God. One of the New Testament scholars I greatly admire is a gentleman. His name is Gordon Feeb. He's passed on. But he's done one of the most definitive studies on the Holy Spirit in the New Testament of any scholar ever. Um, he's a fantastic scholar. He's also a Pentecostal believer. Um, but he wrote a—he went and what he did is he studied every word of every occurrence in the New Testament of the word pneuma, which is the Greek word for spirit. Every single verse in every single book of the New Testament. It's a generous book. It's about this thick. Yeah. Um, I own it. I haven't read it all dipped in and read chapters as they've needed to help me. But after this whole study, Gordon Fee concludes, and he says the following. It's a quote from from his book called God's Empowering Presence. Uh, Sorry, this this quote is from uh, Paul the Spirit and the People of God. But he says the following. He says, reflecting on the role of the Holy Spirit as he understands it in the New Testament, he says, the Spirit means the presence of God in great power to overflow with hope. And he references Romans 15:13, which uh, essentially says that, the power the, that by the power of the Spirit, hope may abound in you. So by the way, you need hope, you also need the power of the Holy Spirit. Gordon Fee says, the Spirit means the presence of great power to overflow with hope. Power is sometimes attested by signs and wonders, and at other times by joy in great affliction. Sometimes the power of God is so that we can persevere. Sometimes the power of God is that even though we're going through hard times, we're suffering, we, as Ben prayed earlier, we're wrestling with our strongholds, the power of God comes and he helps us to endure. And even in that enduring, to find some joy, to find some hope. I'm wondering this morning if there aren't some of you that you've never known in your life, you don't experience the power of God, you've trusted for healing, for yourself, for others, and the, the healing didn't come. Some of you have got chronic conditions. You're battling long-term illnesses and you're going, what's wrong with me? Why am I experiencing the power of God? Perhaps you are. Perhaps it's that power that keeps you going, that power that helps you to persevere, that power that gives you, even though I'm battling with chronic illness, I still love Jesus and I love by Jesus and I still know Jesus. That is also the power of the Holy Spirit at work. So it's in victory and victory in suffering as well. So let's quickly look at some of the questions that sometimes people have around the Holy Spirit. I'm titled, my first question, is this thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is it once, twice or more? In other words, is it something that just happens once? So, and there's churches that believe this, you get saved, God seals you with his Holy Spirit. Remember Ephesians 1.13, we read that a little earlier. You get saved, seals you with the Holy Spirit, and that's all you ever need, once done, enough. Okay, is that kind of the picture? Or is it actually two things, like we read a bit about in Acts? Sometimes you get saved, and then later on there's a second experience, which is often called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or uh, the, the Wesley's one of the Wesley brothers called it a um, second blessing. Is there a second thing? Then it's just once you get saved, sealed. Second, you get empowered, baptized, and then you're done. Or is it actually a bit more of an ongoing thing? And I just want to look at three scriptures to help us understand that, because two of the first two are really about the life of Jesus' disciples. Now, the first one is a little bit interesting uh, because it doesn't get explained for us. It's in the Gospel of John. And to be honest, I think Jesus does something a little strange here. I don't want to call him weird, but maybe he was. Okay. John chapter 20, verse 22. This happens on Resurrection Sunday. So the the ladies have seen Jesus in the garden. They go tell the disciples. They all gather together in the room. As far as I understand, Thomas is not there And then John records this interesting thing that Jesus did. John chapter 20, verse 22. Jesus is speaking to them. He's let them examine his nail-pierced hands and the feet and his wounded side. He's he's given them some evidence. And then Jesus does this. He says, and with that, he breathed on them. Now, maybe he blew, you know. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So on Resurrection Sunday, it appears that Jesus, not appears, it's recorded for us, that Jesus breathed on the disciples and they received the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's when they were sealed, Ephesians 1.13. Maybe that's when they go, because now Jesus is resurrected. Now they believe in him and they get sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's interesting. No one ever comments more than that. None of the other writings of Paul ever refers to that. But there's this event on Resurrection Sunday where Jesus says to disciples, here's the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. To those same disciples, we've read Acts 1 verse 8, or we've alluded to it and read it before, to those same disciples that he's just breathed on a little bit later, he says, wait in Jerusalem, because the day will come when you will, the Holy Spirit will come on you and he will baptize you with fire and you will receive power. So there seems to be this thing where you get saved, it's very clear, but then there's this element where you get empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, there's at least two baptisms. Now, remember we read in Acts chapter 10 with the Gentile believers in Cornelius' house? Same day. They believed, Holy Spirit fell, and then they somehow got baptized. Okay, so there's not too much formula, but there seems to be a two, there seems to definitely be a second empowering experience of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. Much later on, Paul writes, and he gives us another interesting insight to the role of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. He speaks about the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit in believers' lives. So, you have Resurrection Sunday, you have Pentecost Sunday, if you want to use Sundays as a reference point. Later on, Paul writes, Ephesians 5.18, and he says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you have used the word debauchery this week? Okay. Okay. It simply means that you have engaged in excessive indulgence. Okay, so it's when you've had that second helping of pudding. You have been debauched. It's excessive indulgence. Unless you ate like a small portion so that you could have the second portion. Then you haven't. But when are you excessive indulgence or overindulgence to the extreme? What it simply means, what Paul writes, is, is you don't live your life to satisfy your desires. Instead of, for example, getting drunk with wine, which just leads you to all kinds of improper excess, why don't you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Spirit. And that's the mark of the believer. The believer doesn't live for excessive indulgence. The believer lives to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting in that language, in the, in the, the, the tense that it's written in the Greek, it's written that you must continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's this very clear idea in Paul that the, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a bit of an ongoing experience. It's an ongoing thing that happens. So someone once put it this way, yes, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I leak. So you need to be filled again. And so I definitely think in Scripture we see three experiences. There's, you receive the Holy Spirit when you're saved. And you need not worry about that. You are sealed. You are God's own. But there seems to be an empowering experience of the Holy Spirit, which we call baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then for us who were baptized decades ago, weeks ago, years ago, lifetimes ago, there is this need in Scripture to be continually filled because you, let me put it this way, the Christian life is impossible unless you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to keep on refreshing us and keep on empowering us. So, what do we do today? I know there's some people who say that this baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for us anymore, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for us anymore. I think scripture speaks plainly, plainly, sorry. Scripture speaks plainly. And I've tried to just show you a few scriptures where we clearly see. That there's this experience of the Holy Spirit that marks the life of the believer. It's clear that Jesus said we need to be filled with power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. So respectfully to those who say it's not for today, I disagree. I think it's not the plain and clear teaching of Scripture. I think you have to read a whole lot into the text to ignore what it very clearly says about the Holy Spirit. So today we should do and follow What the Bible says. Now what about other tongues? And this is a question I don't know often we get when people say, Well, how does tongues work and what does it work? So what we did see in the book of Acts that baptism in the Holy Spirit is most often accompanied by the ability to speak in tongues. So tongues kind of becomes the sign or the evidence that someone's baptised in the Holy Spirit. But we also saw in Samaria, there's no mention of someone speaking in tongues, yet they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 30, which has quite a specific context. Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, and he's talking about the gathering, so when they were all together, probably in a household, and he's talking about that God wants to bestow different gifts on different people when the church gathers. And then he, this verse comes in, and sometimes people use this verse in this, where they say, do all have the gifts of healing? And the implied answer is, no. When the church gathers, not everybody's going to have a gift of healing. Do all speak in tongues? And the implied answer there, by the way, is no. Okay. And do all interpret tongues? And the implied answer is also no. Now, I think that verse has a specific context. that It's when the church gathers. Will everyone speak in a tongue in a gathered church? No. I think because God is bestowing different gifts on different people. But can we take it from that context and go, well, speaking in tongues is just not for certain people. I don't think, actually, that that's what that verse is saying. I think its context is quite specific. I think when we look at Acts and what Jesus said, is that everybody can speak in tongues. Does everybody speak in tongues? No. So, very important, I to please say this. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, first, first, let me do this. If you've prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but did not receive the gift of tongues, That does not mean you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because if you ask your Father, you receive. Have you experienced power in your life? Have you experienced the ability to live for Jesus? Have you experienced the fellowship of Jesus? Has Jesus become more real to you? Have you grown in the fruit and the character of Jesus? These are all evidences of the baptism of the Holy Spirit too, not just speaking in tongues. So if you don't speak in tongues and you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean you're a second-class Christian or maybe third, okay? You're baptized in the Spirit, but most often we do see in the book of Acts that this is the sign. It's almost like it's a bit of a confirmation. So that night when I knelt and prayed, and I, now I'd read in the book and I'd read in the Scriptures that often what happens is people speaking tongues, and I remember there kneeling and going through steps, believing that I'd received the Holy Spirit, and suddenly I found these words coming that I'd never heard before, never thought before, and I started just responding to that and saying that, and that ability broke through then, In my life, in that way. So, if a believer cannot speak in tongues, it does not mean they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. However, the promise of being able to speak in tongues is for all believers and should be pursued by all believers. Don't just settle for, well, I'm not one of the people who speaks in tongues. Keep your heart open, as we all should for all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Keep your heart open. My heart is open if God wants to use me for a gift of faith. My heart is open if God wants to use me for a gift of healing. My heart is open if he wants me to interpret a tongue. My heart is open if he wants me to speak in other tongues as well. So please don't disqualify yourself. Sometimes people disqualify themselves from the baptism of the Holy Spirit or speaking in tongues because they think it's for a special class of people. It's like really the holy Christians who can get baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not true. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is for all. One little thing that sometimes, as people have battled with speaking in tongues, which I've found to help one or two people, so it's a minority percentage, is sometimes people get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they want to speak in tongues, and they go look for the words where they normally look for language. Now, I can't scientifically explain this. So, you know, if you have to translate something, you, like you go to a certain place in your head and you think about it, anybody? It's just me. Okay. Tongues don't come from there. Okay. They come from your spirit. There's a different source. So look elsewhere. Just look to what God is doing in that space. So why do I speak in tongues? I speak in tongues because I'm fully persuaded that that's what Scripture teaches. I speak in tongues because I have a good Father who wants to give me the gift of His Holy Spirit. And this tongues is an evidence of that. I speak in tongues because I want everything that God has for me. I speak in tongues because it's an evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's the deposit. It's the guarantee that I know. Because you know, sometimes I look at this world and I go, is this Jesus stuff real? I mean, it's so strange if you think about it on a rational level, well, at least for me. And then I start speaking in tongues and I know, but this is beyond natural. I'm not making this stuff up. There's something in me, the Holy Spirit in me that's generating this, that's empowering me. And then I also know that the future, my inheritance is real and it is guaranteed. I also speak in tongues like Paul in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, when you speak in tongues, you speak to God and you build up yourself. I edify myself. The word edify means building up. So sometimes I speak in tongues because I've got to preach and I'm scared. And so I speak in tongues to stir up the Holy Spirit in me. I don't know if that's biblical, but it works for me. Okay. So I speak in tongues. Paul says that he speaks in tongues more than everybody because it builds you up. It, gener- it activates the Holy Spirit in you. I don't know if activates is the right word because the Holy Spirit doesn't need activation. But it helps me to speak in tongues to just maybe get back into where God is. I don't speak in tongues because that's what we do in my church. I don't speak in tongues because everyone else around me is speaking in tongues. I speak in tongues because I'm persuaded and fully persuaded that that's what God has has for me. Worship team, won't you join us? So the promise of the Holy Spirit is for all believers. Acts chapter 2 Verse 38 and verse 39, we're not going to read it. Acts 2, 38, 39, the day of Pentecost has happened, the disciples have burst out of the room and they're speaking in the languages and Peter stands up to preach to explain what is happening. And particularly in verse um, 39, he says, this promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and for all who are far off and it's for all whom the Lord will call to salvation is the implication. The Holy Spirit is for everyone, not just for super saints. The Holy Spirit is available to everyone. So what we want to do now is we want to ask our Father. Remember Luke chapter 11? We want to ask our good Father who knows how to to give good gifts to his children. For some, it's going to be baptize me in the Holy Spirit for the first time. For some, it's going to be refill me with the Holy Spirit. Probably for most, yeah, it will just be that God fill me afresh, fill me again. In the powering of your Holy Spirit. So how do we receive the Holy Spirit? We'll do this, we'll practice it now, but let me just talk you through it. Firstly, you receive the Holy Spirit by grace through faith. So just like you received salvation, you put your faith and say, God, I'm going to trust you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. So it's a little bit of faith. You're putting your faith in God. We're going to ask that you desire to receive the Holy Spirit. If you don't desire, Hold your heart before the Lord and ask him to stir that desire in you. In John chapter 7, we actually studied this passage. Pastor Louis taught us on it earlier in the year. At the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stands up and he says, All who are thirsty, come to me and drink. And living waters will flow out of you. And then the text actually says he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. So come to Jesus and drink. Be thirsty. Desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then very simply ask. Ask our good father, Luke 11, ask, and then believe and heal to the Holy Spirit and speak if tongues come. Start speaking in tongues. And so, can I invite us all to stand? And we're going to receive from the Holy Spirit this morning. Sometimes, when the Holy Spirit comes on people, there's an outward manifestation, perhaps like tongues. Perhaps there'll be some who quake. Maybe some will laugh. Maybe you won't feel a thing. You don't have to feel anything. One of the men that God used mightily in the 1990s to lead the Toronto Revival and the refreshing of the Holy Spirit, his name was John Arnott. He ministered here and I had an opportunity to be around him. And one of the interesting things was is that he led this move of the Holy Spirit. God used him to lead a move of the Holy Spirit across the world where there were many outward manifestations of the Holy Spirit. There were many inward transformations of the Holy Spirit. But he himself felt nothing. I heard him saying that personally. it's not not yesterday. He had no physical manifestation or experience of the Holy Spirit. So it's not about what you feel or what you experience. I'm just saying that sometimes there are these things that happen as we encounter the power of God. Because when the power of God comes into our souls, onto our natural bodies, sometimes there is a response from us. So let's pray together and receive from the Holy Spirit. Father, we come to you. And Jesus, we ask just because we believe that this is a gift that you have for us an empowering that you have for us. We desire to receive your Holy Spirit this morning. Lord, we are thirsty and we come to drink. And so won't you let your living waters stir up in us. Let your Holy Spirit stir up in us and we receive. So come this morning, Father. And if it's necessary for some for the first time, come and baptize us in your Holy Spirit. Give us the power to be your witnesses. Won't you come, Holy Spirit, and fill us all afresh, whether we've been baptized in the Spirit years ago and consistently lived in your power. Won't you come and fill us afresh by your Holy Spirit? And so we're just going to pause a moment and yield to you, Lord Jesus, and ask that you fill us with your Holy Spirit and perhaps there's a stirring in some to speak in tongues won't you do that I'm not, we're not going to interpret we're all just going to pray in the spirit we're speaking to God if you've never spoken in tongues perhaps just see what comes and what the Lord is stirring up in you and utter that, say that, as best as you can. We yield to you, Holy Spirit. And as we sang earlier this morning, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Move among us. Help us to grasp the love of God. Give us the power. I pray, Lord, for those who have been battling with strongholds and um, habitual sin and addictions. Won't you come in your power and break that? I pray those this morning that are walking on a tough journey, the road is hard. Won't you come in your power and heal? But won't you also come in your power and give us joy in suffering? Won't you come in your power and help us to persevere? Father, we thank you for your great love for us, that you give us good gifts. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So go into this week in the power of the Holy Spirit. God will be with you. If you would like prayer, perhaps you didn't feel maybe a breakthrough that you expected, or you'd like someone to lay hands on you and pray for you personally, for the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, our pastors and prayer ministry team will be here. We'd love to pray with you. Perhaps if you're really desiring a breakthrough in tongues and you want someone to pray with you, won't you come? We're really going to trust the Lord together for that breakthrough for you. Or if you need any other kind of prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Please remember, if you're online, you can submit your prayer requests to pray for me at Hatfield. If you want to meet Ben and just learn a little bit more about our church in the Connect Lounge afterwards, and then look for, if you're interested in the Year of Open Day, to also just look for people in, uh, that will direct you to that on the property. God bless you as you go in the week. May you know God's empowering presence in every place and space and in every aspect of your life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.